Welcome to Playback, a Variety podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. On this week's episode, we talk about the Golden Globes as well as the PGA nominations, where Deadpool remains strong this season. A little bit later, I'll be talking to Manchester by the Sea star Casey Affleck. So stick around. Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with Janelle. Good morning. And uh, you're probably going to pick up some outside chatter because we're in a different spot today. And our coworkers are so loud. They're such loud nuisances. Yeah. Nah, really, I like them, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> They're all going to be like, is that shade? I don't know what that means. No, they don't listen to this. We're they don't safe. listen to this. <laughs> Justin listens to it. Justin Kroll was happy for his shout-out, actually. I told him about the shout-out. That's probably why he oh, okay. listened, that little sneaky beat. So he made beat. an appointment yeah. to check it out. Ooh, they're talking about me. <laughs> That's a good Justin Crow limitation. It was a great Justin yeah, Crow limitation. We uh, had the Golden Globes this weekend. Whew, I am tired. Yeah. I had an 11-hour day on Saturday with, uh, you know, I hate to say, like, oh, so many parties, but so many parties. Yeah, I skipped a lot of, you know, the only thing I really liked to go to is the BAFTA Tea Party, which was fun. Wall-to-wall um, people, though. Yeah, and then I skipped over to the La La Land Party for a little bit. And then I closed out the day with the visual effects bake-off, which was a four-hour event. Was that the first time you'd been? In and of itself, yeah. So first they, time. Like, make presentations and cases yeah, for Yeah, I was excited to they? go, but at the end yeah. of that day, I was just, like, fading so hard. But uh, it's a very interesting event. You know, they, they make – basically, they have a timed spot where they come up one – of the, one of the people come up and they talk about the effects – and only one guy went over his time and had to be interrupted. That was the Fantastic Beasts. Christian Mance uh, went over his allotted time. Then they show a reel. And then the entire group gets up there and answers a couple questions for like 10 minutes. What is the allotted time for them to speak overall? I think the first, like the opening bit seems like it's like five minutes, mm. maybe 10. And then the, the Q&A afterwards feels like it's about 10 minutes. And how many movies? 10. <sighs> It's yeah. a long night. It is a long night. Is that how they do makeup as well? It, uh, I think they, they have, still yeah, these do bake-offs something are like fascinating that. They used to, to do sound effects, actually. I would love to have been to one of those back in the day. And they're open to the public? They're open to the public. You can just show up. That is so cool. I mean, I won't, but it's really cool <laughs> to hear about. For the geeks in us, it's fun. And, and uh, it matters if you have a really good reel, because the best reel, I thought, by far, was Deepwater Horizon. Oh, that's great. so elegantly put together. Like, a lot of these, because they're showing different scenes, it's like stop and start, really jagged editing. The only movie that seemed to think, hey, let's just cut the black for a second before each scene was Kubo, which, by the way, I think is a dark horse Yeah. for this, because... That it made it this far is kind of interesting as it is. Don't you think this is how we should uh, pick the movies, too? Like somebody gets up and says, here's my case for nocturnal animals. Sure. Well, that would be Aaron you. Taylor Johnson sits on a toilet. <laughs> Speaking of. Speaking of, let's talk about the Globes kicking off with a big shocker. And then the and then BAFTA nominated him as well. Uh, you know, hey, the thing is I can't criticize the choice. I think Aaron Taylor Johnson is the best performance he's, he's ever given. He's great in the movie. I mentioned the toilet scene because somebody was complaining on Twitter that's that, that that that's all anyone talks about, which I actually haven't seen many people talking about. I think of the 17-minute sequence on the road where he terrorizes well, Jake Gyllenhaal's family. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And he's kind of unrecognizable, too, in, in a certain is. way, like the way his, his hair is done and everything. There's Justin walking by right now. He probably knows we're talking about him. Yep. <laughs> he's got that sensor. Aaron's, I think he's a legit possibility at I this point. Too, and and you're going to go back to the exciting. 70s to find 
a Golden Globe winner in that category that didn't get nominated, by the way. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, I don't think anyone was more surprised than he was. And by the way, he came backstage um, because I spent my Golden Globes day um, backstage. And the cutest thing ever while he was, you know, they cut the sound to the show while the winners are backstage talking. And he made them turn the sound back on so he could see Ryan Gosling's acceptance speech. Yeah, it was the cutest thing seeing Aaron Taylor. You mean Ryan Gosling's sexist Exceptions. Wait, no. Are you serious? That's what everyone's saying. Who's everyone? I have not heard this. I thought it was the entire to, internet. Next to uh, Meryl Streep, I thought it was the best speech of the night. Yeah, I thought it was great too. Look, we're yeah. in this age where we talked about Steve Martin last week, and Ryan Gosling caught shit this this time. About. I literally have not seen or heard any of this. Just avoid it. Okay, that's probably a good idea. I saw some piece about regarding Meryl Streep's speech where she was. Uh, turning the handicapped gentleman she was talking about into a victim. And I was like, really? We are think-piecing ourselves to well, death. A victim of bullying, maybe? It just, yeah. It's, I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. This is this is why I don't read. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I sit at home and watch movies. Golden Globes was a sweep for La La Land, which... History I, I, A lot of people sweep. kind of thought that was going to happen. I, I they, they don't do that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, a couple of other shots... I thought our big surprise would come in, like, Best Actor, mm-hmm. like maybe Ryan Reynolds would sneak in, maybe Hugh Grant, mm-hmm. um, or maybe they'd give songs to I was to thinking else. Hugh Grant was going to win. I was thinking Amy Adams was going to win. Isabel Huppert was a surprise, though, for people. Does Isabel Huppert now get the Oscar nomination? I think she's in there, but that is a tight six-horse race, like, well, as tight as it can be. And you know all along, I, mean, I, think, I mean, Meryl obviously picked up votes with that I speech. I think she's in, and you know I'm the one who's been saying all along that I don't think she's in. Now I think she is. Well, who gets pushed out here? I mean... I mean, the guest, my, you know, Emma Stone and Natalie Portman are safe. And then uh, my guess is Amy Adams is in, Meryl Streep. So, that, so then you're pushing out Annette Benning. I've never who thought Annette Benning was in. Who has not been doing anything. Yeah. No, and from the start, I, I didn't see her making the cut. From the start? Come on. Yeah. No, we've had this discussion. We have? Yeah, you are a parent now, and <laughs> your memory is fading. But I have always thought it was too subtle a performance to I didn't. I don't make think it it's that end. subtle. I think it's pretty lively, actually. I also think it's a supporting performance. Well, that's the thing. Like, at the start, I, I asked them, like, would you push that for yeah. supporting? And they were like, no. Maybe they should have. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, I am still holding out hope Taraji P. Hansen gets in. I know that that could be a pipe dream at this well, point. Well, this, this is the other thing. Like, these, all these awards, these Guild Awards and, and the Golden Globes have happened in a different timeline. Uh, right now is when Academy voters have ballots in hand. So Hidden mm-hmm. Figures is a story right now. It beat Star Wars at the box office, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. And it came on strong with the PGA, got a nomination. I th- As we, we both think it's it in would. Best yeah, Picture. Yeah. Uh, I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks that Deadpool is going to get a Best Picture Oscar nomination. Here's the thing about Deadpool. I have no problem with it getting a PGA nomination. Why? Except, well, <laughs> someone, said to only, someone said to me today, oh, it took 10 years to make, and it was a $56 million so, movie that made $700 million. I'm like, most movies take a decade to make yeah. and don't get a mid-budget like $50 million. So that's kind of a weird... I like Argument Deadpool. I had no problem with it getting nominated at the Globes. My problem with it getting nominated for PGA is that there were clearly better movies that could have made the cut. There were better superhero movies, both Amer- uh, Captain America and Civil War and Doctor Strange. I'm pulling up the trailer movies. for Deadpool right now. I just want to know what I'm missing. Let's see. <laughs> what do you mean what you're oh, missing? Oh, that one's asking me to confirm my age. Oh, goodness. I mean, <laughs> So is just... that one. Holy crap. Can I watch a Deadpool trailer on YouTube, please? No, I'm afraid. Thank you. You, uh, you're too young. Right, let's, let's watch this trailer together. I love you, Wade Wilson. We can fight this. 
We're watching the Deadpool trailer, everyone. You know, someone made an excellent point about how, minus the superhero stuff, it's total Oscar bait. He's got cancer. <laughs> it's a love story. I mean, look, this is a fun movie. Very it's fun an irreverent movie. movie. If it deserves any awards, it deserves, I think, marketing awards because they crushed yeah. the marketing. Uh, you know, but, you know, he, he, he quips, he curses. It's an R-rated, irreverent comedy. Is this what... You know what makes for really good radio is watching a yeah, trailer. Yeah, right? <laughs> no, I think this is hilarious. All right, that's a funny line. So, WGA nomination. Okay, TLC. I mean, not TLC. Salt and Peppa. I'm all about. So, yeah. Give it a nomination. Wonderful marketing. Very anyway, enjoyable I'm busting movie. His balls. Look, I'm happy for Rob yeah. Liefeld. I'm happy for everybody involved with the movie. I just think it's a little much. I, that we, I that we're, can't we're going disagree this far. with you. We've got an Ace nomination, a WGA nomination, a PGA nomination. See, the Ace nomination is the one that makes the most sense. It to makes me. the most sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's a very well edited movie. And, but you know, PGA, and I, I thought Sully might get in there. Frank Marshall, it, that talk about a movie that did well, mm-hmm. like on a low budget, and you know, for what it is. But that didn't happen, and that movie yeah, seems to be dead. Are people? Do they genuinely love it, or are, do they love the narrative of like it took you know so long to get made, and I guess everyone that's stuck part with of it. it. I don't want to beat up on it. Like, no, it just seems either. like. I don't know. I'm just annoyed. I did when I saw this movie in February. I didn't expect to be engaging with it 11 months later <laughs> in the award season. I guess that's where I'm at. So. I was happy for the Globes nominations because I was happy they put a comedy in the comedy category, and you know, and Ryan Reynolds is great. Um, but yeah, the PGA is like hmm, okay. Well, there we are. Uh, Any I other think, surprises? I in think the, PGA? the no. I think the nine that were not Deadpool. I think those are the movies that are contending for Best Picture. We might get, you know, there's passion votes out there for movies like Nocturnal Animals, which was a BAFTA nominee. Actually, nine nominations did really well. Uh, passion votes are out there for Silence and for Loving. That's possible. You need 300 people. But if Fox wanted to, they could block vote that shit and just yeah. get like everybody vote for Deadpool. And it could happen. It could get, anything could happen. It takes like three hundred people. Witness Aaron Taylor Johnson. Anything yes. can happen. So what else this week? Uh, you know what I was thinking about on the way over here. This is random. Um, I was listening to a Prince CD. Mm. I, I would like them to perform "Purple Rain" on the show, and not Why? as part of the in memoriam. I just think it would be an awesome moment, just uh-huh. unto itself. Why on the Oscars though? Well, it was an Oscar winning well, song. He passed away, and, he, yeah. and it's an Oscar winning song. And yeah, I just think that would be an awesome moment, depending on who you got to do it. Maybe you could get like a collective of people, like We Are the World, <laughs> doing Purple Rain. Maybe get Justin Timberlake. He could, he would crush it. I think Grammys are coming up too. Why not do it there? Well, do it there, fine. But I just think as, <laughs> as a as a little moment on the Oscars, yeah. I was thinking like, what can they do to this show to spice it up? Because it's it's not an interesting year for movies, in my opinion. And like, what are they going to do on the show to really liven up? I am excited things? about Jimmy Kimmel hosting. Um, as I said, I was a, I was backstage, so I couldn't read the temperature of the room. Uh, how did Jimmy Fallon do as Globe's host? Eh, I mean, that's the other thing. Their opening number it was just a La La Land number. Like that's all they could do was get everybody involved in TV and other movies, and let's do a La La Land number. Like you know, it was it was a neat little thing, and it kind of set the tone. Like obviously, La La Land is a favorite tonight, but. I thought Fallon was as safe as you expected him to be. Mm-hmm. Like his, even his one Trump joke was like he got, he got in and out of it really fast too. Like I was like whatever Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel though. You know we'll see. I, he's obviously a little more biting. Yeah, yeah. As, as we saw at the that. Emmys, the Emmys, right? Where <laughs> yeah, it was the yeah. Emmys. Yeah, no, he's a great host. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. 
When this runs, by the way, or when this airs, DGA will have already. Oh, really? Do they announce tomorrow? They announce Thursday morning. Oh, well, let's come back on Thursday morning. And you got any predictions? I'm thinking Denis Villeneuve will get in there, actually. I think you're probably right. I mean, okay, so Barry Jenkins. By the way, I did a Q&A with Barry Jenkins last night. Maybe this is common knowledge. Um, Janelle Monet, you know, she kind of came to his attention because she auditioned for Star Trek. Oh, I saw your tweet about that. Yeah. Who did she, so did she audition for Ahura? I'm not sure. That was what I assumed, which might be wrong of me. But maybe it was for one of the Star Trek sequels because it sounded like it was not that long ago. And, oh, okay. it was, and that's how she sort of got on Barry's radar, someone recommended to her and you know and she is a trained actress something else i didn't realize she attended a you know dramatic academy like it makes me feel a little bit better about the fact she's so damn good in these two movies and you feel like she just came out of nowhere to be an amazing actress she's she's awesome like she's gonna be a star i think in this realm just listening to her talk and everything that comes out of her mouth is amazing yeah barry's in i think uh denise in actually if someone falls out i love him but i feel like kenny lonergan could fall out just because I think uh, he's safe. He's the Tom McCarthy, you know, well, that will quietly keep often, getting in. I think he's considered more for his writing skills mm-hmm. than as a director. But I, I certainly think he deserves to be in there. And uh, obviously, obviously Damien's in there. So who's your fifth? Who is my? Oh, Mel Gibson. Oh yeah, Mel yeah. Gibson. Okay. Um, do you think Ted Melfi has a chance for Hidden Figures? Maybe it's, it's such a it's no. such a broad group. It's yeah. a big group. So these movies like Hidden Figures that everyone loves and wants to be a Best Picture nominee can land that kind of a nomination sometimes surprisingly. I'm thinking of when Morton Tildum yeah, for Morton the Imitation Tildum Game kept like, getting you know nominations. People didn't know who he was, but they loved that movie so much. And people actually do know who Ted Melfi is. There's always somebody who doesn't get the Oscar nomination who gets DGA because the Oscars it's like. Like 350 members of the director's branch, which is why I think Martin Scorsese is still alive there. I think so too. Oh, you wait. Do you don't think Scorsese gets the DGA nom? Mm-mm. Wow. I don't think they saw it. I kind of think it doesn't matter if they saw it or not. Well, then there's that. Like, it is a very specific movie. That's why it works more for a smaller branch, like the director's branch of the Academy. You know, the Oscars always recognize someone who generally doesn't get recognized along the way, like Lenny Abramson for Room. I feel like um, Bennett Miller, the year of Foxcatcher, didn't have a lot of momentum going into, um, because, you know, directors really sort of pick on the outskirts. So, you know, I've got my, maybe that's Denny. This year, or maybe it's Matt Ross for Captain Fantastic. So let me be clear that that does not get DGA, but gets an Oscar nomination. Yes. Okay. Matt Ross. Hmm. I don't think so. I'm saying. I know you love Dark Horse. I I love love the movie. But uh, I I would be very surprised by that. Yeah, Denis would make more sense Mm -hmm. in general for like the smaller group to go for him. But then I think about Arrival and how it will appeal to all the younger members of these guilds. And that's why I think it's going to continue to do really well in the guilds. And I'm still like, I don't know about it for a Best Picture nomination. I don't know about it for Amy, frankly. Uh, I think Amy's pretty secure. Because we're pushing out. You're pushing out a net. That, yes. that makes the most sense at this point. Yeah. But as soon as you say, oh, this this is the five that makes sense, something happens. Of course. And this has been you know a more unpredictable year than most. I think we had a Twitter question, actually, oh, asking about how up, the bodies have changed you know, with these new members. Yeah, well, that's the unknowable. Yeah. There's like 600 new members. I used to you know, really have a good predictor for the SAG Awards. And, and in the last couple of years since SAG and After Merged, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. 
I mean, you got 600 new members. Most of them are international. How how are their tastes going to affect these various branches? I think Steve Pond did like a little breakdown of how many new members are in each branch. And that's where it starts to, you know, within the branches is where it starts to kind of trickle down. I'm not fine. I'm finding a lot of Portuguese reactions to Deadpool's (laughs) PGA nominations in my Twitter feed. Stop angering the Portuguese. I'm trying to find all these questions. Let me see it. I'm sorry, guys. I should have had them ready to go. This one, this Michael wants to know, do you think Silence Scorsese get a tree of life? Get in a la tree of life. Miss almost everywhere, but get in at the end. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's possible. I mean, again, it's a passion movie. Uh, I think they're worried about it, though, honestly. What's going to happen with Best Actress? (laughs) All of these questions we've covered, thankfully. Could Colossus ride the wave into a Best Supporting Actor nomination for Deadpool? Yeah, definitely. Why not? Oh, that's hilarious. Let's make it happen. Oh, it was Rodrigo de Oliveira who asked the question, what kind of impact will the new international members of the Academy have and which films would benefit from it? Well, that's actually where Arrival grabs some some steam because uh, Denis well-loved internationally. And, you know, I think I've just been wrong on predictions this year is just where we're at. (laughs) I face-planted with the Globes. Uh, Sam Coffey, I just love the way this is worded. After a shocking Globe win and a BAFTA nod, is Aaron Taylor Johnson thing really happening? (laughs) Is there room? As we said earlier, yeah, I think it is. The Aaron Taylor Johnson thing. It is a thing. This is a funny question. Why do they love that shitty movie? I just don't understand. Deadpool? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's a shitty movie. Come on. It's a fun movie. Yeah. Again, I just didn't expect to be talking about it a year later. (laughs) But here we are. That's the season. Casey Affleck this week. Oh, fantastic. Golden Globe Won the Golden Globe. Got played off the stage by those assholes. (laughs) A nice little shout out to Denzel from the stage. I've been thinking Denzel was going to win the Oscar, but it, it does seem to be lining up for Casey, honestly, so... I uh, spoke to Casey this weekend, and I don't know why this just charms me. You know, he's the biggest fan of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Really? Yeah. I don't know why that caught me off guard. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, like a passionate, passionate fan. Well, interesting. (laughs) We didn't talk about Lord of the Rings, but we talked about Manchester by the Sea and a couple of other things. So uh, I guess stick around for that. Casey Affleck after this. Take one guy to an island with you and you knew you'd be safe because he was the best man. He was going to keep you happy. If it was between me and your father, who would you take? My daddy. I didn't think you were wrong about that. Oh, Lee. What happened to my brother? So that's the Lee Chandler. I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you yeah. look, it was my impression that you'd spent a lot of time here. I yeah. I'm just a backup. Lee, nobody can appreciate what you've been through. And if you really feel you can't take this on, you know, that's your right. Where are we going to the orphanage? Shut up. Get in the car. Can't obey your orders until you unlock the door. Whatever you decide, he can always stay with us if he wants to come up weekends. Do you want to be his guardian? 
Well, he doesn't we want to be my guardian. For Christ's sake, he's got a house. We're trying to lose some kids, kids at this point. House. Hello. Hello, Lee. I just want to call and say I'm sorry. How's Patrick doing? Well, he doesn't really open up with me. Do you actually have sex with these girls? Strictly basement business. What does that mean? It means I'm working on it. You don't want to be my guardian? That's fine with me. Not that. It's just the logistics. All my friends are here. I got two girlfriends, and I'm in a band. You're a Janda and Quincy. What the hell do you care where you live? Welcome back, everyone. I'm here with the star of Manchester by the Sea, Casey Affleck. Casey, man, thanks for coming by. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Casey recently, uh, he was just admiring <laughs> our cover of Variety. We've got a copy here. You know, you're going to look back at this year, and you're going to see just like a ton of burly man photos that like premieres <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be your like jeremiah johnson year i think oh is that a good thing <laughs> it's a good thing it's just funny to capture a moment in history what what are you rocking the main for again i forget uh, i'm about to do a movie playing a part of a guy who's been doesn't shave or yeah. cut his hair that often so uh amongst other things well you're pulling it off <laughs> we were talking about Lewis and Clark too. I, th- I thought that that miniseries that you worked on was was what this was about. But uh, working with John Caran on that, mm-hmm. uh, what, what do you think of him? I, I was actually a fan of uh, the Painted Veil like ten years ago. I really liked his version of that. Mm-hmm. But how do you like working with him so far? You know, uh, I don't think that the experience that I had is a fair uh, representation of kind of who he is as a director. We were trying to shoot six. Uh, episodes mm-hmm. of you know hour long tv um telling a story that was spanned six or so years uh that took place mostly in the wild and uh, and um with every day hundreds of extras and uh on horses without saddles and hundreds of uh you know uh, like natives and hundreds of and with dozens of boats or um made out of uh, they were very, very hard to move up rivers, and uh, and we were just trekking through the wilderness, and um, it was impossible. It was an impossible production. The, the scripts were a little bit, uh, I think, um, it was probably too ambitious, and mm. then we ran into a bunch of problems just that you will run into when you're trying to shoot in the wild, thunderstorms, and shut the yeah. production down for hours, and... Um, horses getting spooked and scattering, and you can't get them back until after lunch, and just a million things went wrong. Um, but it, it, that that story is is a story that I think you know I got to know really well because I had done so much research on Meriwether Lewis and the, and the expedition, and um, it's just incredible. Most people only know the kind of sixth grade you know version of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you can tell in about 20 seconds, and they don't know any of the details, uh, and and they're great. And he was an amazing character, very, very complicated, brilliant guy. Um, so I'm, I don't think it'll ever uh, resume, but... Um, it's a shame. It is a shame. I'd like to do it sometime. It seems like a book could be written about the experience of that. It's like a, it sounds like a Herzog production or something, you know? Yeah. Fitzcarraldo. You, uh... We're talking about Herzog and Telluride. That reminds me. You've got a great Herzog impression. Both you and Kenny have great Herzog impressions. <laughs> um, he, he's such a hero up there. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. I, that was my first time at Telluride Film Festival. And um, first of all, that was a great film festival. Yeah. Um, uh, and they have a whole theater named after him. He's been going there for years and years. Uh, Celebrates his birthday up there every year because his birthday is like that week. Is that right? Yeah. 
It's like September 6th or something like that. Yeah, I tried to tell him a story. My only, I ran into him at a restaurant, and I, and I thought he would appreciate the story that I had to share with him, which was about the one time I had met him. Um, and he denied that the whole thing happened, uh, which is so bizarre. I don't even know what to think of it. I know that it happened. I was there. Um, I remember it, and it's not and not like an unflattering story for him. Uh, I don't know why he would deny it, but he denied it. And it's given me I, now this idea that like if people tell me stories about myself, I'm just going to deny them. Yeah. They, you know, like for no happen. reason. Like, hey, I, you know, <laughs> met you here. I'll say no, that never happened. And, uh, just to see like what their reaction was because my reaction, I was dumbfounded. And I yeah, think I don't I just, even how you react to that. You just. I guess so like, drops. okay, well, I guess nice to meet you then. Uh, <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> well, speaking of the cover here of Variety and, and just covers and a lot of attention this year for this role, uh, and you've been on the circuit more or less since uh, Sundance. When you, when you have a movie that premieres at Sundance and then it's scheduled to release in the fall, I mean, that's always a long haul for anybody. But you've always struck me as somebody not 100% comfortable with a lot of attention like that. So how's this year for you so far? Well, it's been okay. It's been all right. I guess when you have a movie that that um, is trying to, you know, you're trying to sell, you're hoping to sell, and you show it at Sundance, sometimes it means that either you don't sell it or then you sell it and it comes out right away and then the whole thing's over with. Um, in this case, they sold it to Amazon and then Amazon wanted to, uh, you know, release it in November at the end of the year. So it just meant that there was a big, long stretch there. Yeah. And um, and so for a while, we didn't have to do anything. They were just kind of sitting on the movie and now it's about to come out. So taking it to a bunch of film festivals, um which has been nice. It's I, I like going to film festivals. Uh, I don't always like doing a lot of the other publicity. That's part of the job. I do it, but uh, it's true. It does make me uncomfortable, and um, and I wonder about sort of what hole you know a uh, hole I'm digging for myself. Um, but I I think that uh, in this case it's a it's a it's a movie that people responded to and I wanted to support Kenny and I like hanging around with all the people in the movie so it's been fun we've done you know, five film festivals I came back yesterday from uh, Morelia Mexico where they have oh, the wow. film festival down there that is that was really an incredible experience um, it's their fourteenth year it's in Michoacan and in a state that is having a a real hard time with crime and the cartels and and uh yet they are trying to keep this festival going and um you know as you would imagine they have a hard time getting people down there bring their mm-hmm. movies and support it um and they don't have a lot of mo- movie goers in the area so you know we went to the screening and it wasn't it was a very strange crowd it was like families and little kids mm-hmm. wandering around in the theater and um Babies and people who would, I think would never ever go see this movie. Um, yet someone had persuaded them or paid them to come and sit in the theater and watch. Um, and the the area itself was like uh, you know no tourists there. Um, mm-hmm. A really old colonial village kind of, and that um, goes back to the 16th century and. Uh, they had a screen set up in the plaza before the screening. I was kind of wandering around the city a little bit, and there was this, like, real. it was Saturday afternoon. It was a really lively little plaza in, uh, in the kind of old part of Old Town, uh, right around this cathedral from, you know, 1560 or something. And um, they had this outdoor screen set up. 
Uh, and it made me think of like Cinema Paradiso or some oh, yeah. like the days when people would travel around like, showing movies to people who had never seen a movie. Obviously, these people had seen a movie on the outskirts of town. There's even a kind of multiplex. But I think most people probably don't see that many movies. They very probably never see movies like Manchester by the Sea, mm-hmm. kind of smaller American independent movies. Um, and no one was really paying too much attention to this like giant white uh Rectangle in the plaza, you know, and uh, they were going to project a movie on, and um, it was really, it was, it was kind of great. It was one of the best experiences uh, because it, it wasn't, you know, I don't know, people looking for autographs or, or people who had sort of jaded film types mm-hmm. and you know bounce around to fifteen film festivals a year or um, just looking for their their picture. And it was, it was, um, it was people who. You know, we're asking questions like, I did a little bit of press there, and they, they wanted to know things like, you know, why do you make, what is it like to make a movie? Or what is it, why is it fun to make a movie? Really kind of general mm-hmm. questions that you don't hear that often. And um, You probably don't think about the answers to those kinds of questions I, very often either. Yeah, it made, me, it made me think. So simple it makes you think about it. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, are you finding that the movie's connecting in these various different locales? I'm not sure how it connected yesterday in Morelia. Uh, if my opening remarks were any indication, it might not have gone over that well. <laughs> right. I tried to speak in Spanish. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and then I tried to, uh, and then I tried to speak through the translator, and um, I don't think that the humor was landing. But um, uh, in other film festivals, it's gone great, and um, uh, it's played really well. Uh, I haven't seen it in any foreign. Uh, I haven't seen it anywhere where people don't speak English. I haven't seen it with mm. subtitles or anything. Um, is that true? Yeah. Uh, but I, people seem to respond to it. You know, Kenny's such a good writer, and um, well, he's such a humanist. I think that kind of stuff often translates. You know, it, there's there's something very Americana in some ways about this movie, but his work translates, I think, because he's such a humanist writer. Uh, you guys, <laughs> I loved spending some time with both of you and tell you right because get these two together and like there's a lot of dry humor flying around and you guys just have a great rapport uh your relationship goes back to uh the production of this is our youth right when mm-hmm. was that 2002 uh at the garrick theater in the west end of london did this is our youth uh i didn't know kenny then uh, i only knew him as the writer as a guy who i wanted to you know i tried to want to do some of his plays uh and he'd never hired me and then um he did and for that production and then we became really good friends and then over the years we got closer i did a a little one act of his before it became a full play it was called the medieval play um that was one of the funniest things i've ever read for sure it was only about 20 minutes long um and i did it a few times we only did about five performances and one of which I couldn't get through on stage because I was I was laughing. I was laughing maybe more than the, the audience was laughing at some points. Um, I just think he. I, I love his sense of humor and um, and you, and and you can count on me and in Margaret. Um, they're both such emotional movies, uh, you know. And I can't watch them without being being really moved and. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I remember reading them and and crying and but there's also like he's. They're always really funny. Mm-hmm. They're both about like tragedies, people dealing with a lot of pain, um, but they're always really, really funny. 
Yeah, you make a good point there about the humor. I, we talked in Telluride about just kind of the general uh, sense of melancholy in this movie, but I don't want to put too much on that because you're right. He does have a great sense of humor, and there's a there's a sense of humor in Manchester, certainly. It's cool. But uh, this and, – and we talked about this, and I'd just like the listeners to hear about it more. The, the uh, Being in that headspace as an actor, because there's so, so much tragedy in the film, there's a lot of just, again, melancholy – is that difficult to maintain that headspace for uh, an extended period of time when you're working on this movie? You know, actually, it's harder to, to go in and out of it. I think mm-hmm. that probably Michelle had a tougher job because she had to sort of come in. She'd work a day and go home for a week. Um, she didn't have, you know, have she had a couple pretty heavy scenes. Um, and I think it's, it's hard to uh, turn it on and off like that. Um, I had... You know, every day I had some scene that, that for me was really challenging, that was very emotional in some way. And I know that Kenny, you know, what makes his movies great is that you really believe that this is these are real people and this is all really happening. There's nothing, no stylization to the writing or the direction that leaves puts the audience at a distance. You know, I think what, what, why they work so well is one of the reasons, uh, as far as I can tell, is that People are drawn into caring about the characters and and um, sucked into the story in, in a way that uh, sort of opens them up to feeling kind of emotional about them. Um, and so I had to play those scenes in a way that was naturalistic, is and while also sort of honoring the script that was very precisely written. He takes a long time to write uh, a script, and he said he spent three years on this, and you know he really wants every word on the page in the movie. Um, and when characters are speaking and they're overlapping one another, he wants them to overlap just as it's written. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of, you have, have to be of two minds, one very kind of technical, um, and there's no point arguing with him because he's right, and it's, it's beautiful writing. And then you have to also be sort of able to not think about that at all and, be, and just listening and responding to the other person and being... Um, as emotionally truthful as you can be, and that's that was kind of my my job. And I and because I had to do some of these harder scenes, uh, I had to do really like every other day was some very very heavy scene. In some in some ways, I kind of just got into it and stayed in there. And you know, I I, uh, I got used to it. Um, I sort of uh, I I didn't have the kind of that anticipatory that dread of like oh there's this hard scene coming in a week or in two weeks and I'm sort of it's always in the back of my mind it was just the next day I had to go play some some tough scene and so I got out of my head and just would sort of show up in the right emotional state and do what was on the page the cold probably helps a little bit right (laughs) the cold yeah just kind of Dowered, somber, you know, environment in some ways, you know, shoveling snow. I mean, it's not happy stuff that you're doing in that weather, you know. That's true. That's true. Although, you know, there's there was a few days in there where the characters are supposed to be freezing cold. That's kind of like what they're talking about in the scene. And of course, you know, it's 55 degrees or something. We're (laughs) right at the end of the the winter, and so uh, there are a lot of little things like that in this movie. Um, It was hard. It was not an easy. Things didn't always go our way, sort of logistically. Uh, didn't have enough time, and you know, it was this the not that this is important or interesting at all, but there was the kind of snowiest winter that Massachusetts has had in ten thousand years, and it was uh, it was you had over a hundred inches of snow, and um, and the and the script was 
had incorporated uh, winter imagery in, into it sort of, I thought, beautifully. You know, he wrote it in, I don't know, over three years, obviously, as I said. And so he wasn't writing it because he thought, okay, I'm going to get to shoot it in the winter. He was writing because he wanted it to be a winter story that then turns into spring mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. And uh, he had, in some of the, the, the action lines in the script were about describing sort of parts of the city as frozen, you know, in certain ways, mm-hmm. and, and how they thaw out and how it changes the setting and, you know, like the bay with all the boats covered and frozen in and ice around them and um, things like that. And uh, really, I thought, I found kind of poignant. And then um, we didn't get things together in time in this production. And so it was, you know, March or April when we started shooting and mm-hmm. it was, it, we we lost a lot of that. But I think that he still managed to make you feel like you know it was winter and it moved into spring yeah. you know but movie magic I guess yeah totally uh, let's talk about Lucas Hedges your co-star in this film newcomer he's so good he's so, and, and he it's gotta be hard to just be a newcomer and just nail Kenny's kind of rhythm and, and be, it's a very naturalistic rhythm but that's kind of a hard thing to do when you're confronting the artifice of filmmaking uh, as an actor. So uh, what was it like working with this guy? And, uh, yeah, just how did he strike you? Um, I guess Lucas was 17 when we started shooting. And, um, you know, he was very focused, professional, mature, 17-year-old, way more so than I I was at 17 or probably at 35. Uh, He's... um, he, I guess, he grew up around movies. His dad was a director and grew up on sets. And um, you know, his parents are really, really very conscientious parents and people. And um, they were around a bit, and I got to know them, and I could sort of see how he became the person that he is because they're really kind of beautiful people. And um, so, um, you know, I never thought, oh, I'm working with a minor. I sort of felt like. I was working with uh, just a peer. He's he was he was on it, um, and I think that it's a testament to Kenny. You know how he how he cast this kid at the very last minute, and and got sort of uh, was able to guide him through a pretty tricky part. And uh, and as you point out, the writing isn't always easy. On the other hand, you know, reading scenes, the, reading Kenny's writing, sometimes you can just open it and recold and read it out loud. And it sounds great, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's because he has such a good ear for kind of how people talk, mm-hmm. especially how young people talk. Um, uh, and this is our youth, you know. He really captures that, like how the repetitive nature of some of the conversations and kids sitting around and you know, uh, sort of seemingly not talking about anything, but really sort of. Sh- um, um, sharing a lot more than they think that they're sharing. Uh, Where do you think he's able to pull that from? Is he just a king of observation and, and able to just translate that? I guess so. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Because your powers right, of observation I mean, it's, make him a good writer, but also like I don't know. He's you know he says that when he sits down to write, he he is able to he just plays the parts in his head. Mm-hmm. I think it's also probably would make him a good actor. He's been in. Um, all of his movies. Perfect in this one. Yeah, he's good in this one. Um, I think he just, he gets it. He's a huge fan of movies from, 
like the twenties, thirties, forties. Uh, I think his interests kind of peter out around the sixties and seventies. <laughs> but uh, um, so he loves he loves that stuff. You know, that's you can see kind of his influence from some of that stuff in in his movies. I know it sounds the two sound so like incongruous the like the way that he captures you know a 17 year old in massachusetts and how he talks now with um some movie from 1938 about gangsters you know but uh i, I can sometimes see it you mm-hmm. know and he'll uh he loves you know gary cooper and uh, he, there's it's funny the things that he that he likes but he uh he has a real um he loves movies, and he he and uh, he loves. Um, I think he likes to write people who are holding on to a lot um, and uh, not talking about it that much. I think he's, or I don't know if he likes to or not. He can talk about that, but he's really good at ta- writing characters who are carrying a lot of pain. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to venture out a little bit. Next year is going to be the 10th anniversary of the assassination of Jesse James mm-hmm. by the coward Robert Ford. I say this every year. I'm still waiting on somebody to make a better movie. <laughs> I mean that. I, it's the best film I've seen since it came out. I love the film. I'm a huge Westerns fan, but it's just such an iconic uh, piece of work. And it's weird because I don't love Andrew Dominic's films nearly as much as I love that one. Mm-hmm. But something about that one just is a landmark for me. And uh, what do you think when you look back 10 years from that movie? And, and that was a big year in general for you because you had Gone Baby Gone as well. So, But, you know, looking back at Jesse James, that's how we first met, really, yep. was working on reviving the film and getting it in the repertory art house circuit. But uh, talk about that. Uh, well, I think that you were... Um, um, you picked up pretty early on how, that it was a good movie, and it wasn't. Not everyone else sort of thought of it that way. It wasn't received. It wasn't received that well um, at first, mm-hmm. and nobody went to see it. Mm-hmm. So, by that definition, uh, you know, well, I guess it was just kind of a failure. Uh, and then since then, people have discovered it, and more people have liked it. And critics have started to talk about it. But I think it maybe at first glance it was. Um, I'm not sure why it fell between the you know fell through the cracks. I, I don't I don't really know. Well, it didn't seem to have the best release pattern, frankly, coming out of Venice. Um, I don't know what they thought they were dealing with, but uh, I always thought it was a unique way to put out that movie. And I I don't know what they thought what they were dealing with either. I, I know that there are a lot of disagreements between Andrew and between the studio, and that it sort of undercut any momentum that it had. It got a sort of got a bad. There's some bad word of mouth on it just because of that, because yeah. it took so long to come out. And I remember uh, Rita Hayworth and Shawshank Redemption, or the the Shawshank Redemption, it's just called. And I had loved the story and um, so much. I was waiting for that movie to come out. And it was years and years. Mm-hmm. And then everyone said, "Oh, it's a disaster. It's over three hours. It didn't work out." And and when it came out, um, it already had that kind of stink on it. Uh, and I think that Jesse James was the same way. Um, but you know, to Andrew's credit, he's really stuck by that movie, man. When most other people would have given up because they thought, "I don't want my my you know this blemish on my on my career, my reputation. People are going to think of me as a director who doesn't get along with the studio. People are going to think of me this way or that way." And you know, people compromise, and he did not compromise. Uh, 
he he made the movie that he wanted to make, and he might say in the end that there are still some compromises he did have to make. You know, I saw a cut that was ten minutes longer or something that was he considers to be his cut. Um, um, but by and large, man, he really stood by that movie when everyone else was sort of jumping ship, and um, and so I think that people were ready to not like the movie. Also, I think you know from an audience perspective and maybe from the studio head's perspective they were like why should we what what is what kind of movie is it where Brad Pitt is your lead and he dies halfway through or something you know mm-hmm. that, that doesn't that's not uh, the kind of movie we, we thought we were making um, but that's what the book was that's what the the script was and that was the movie that Andrew wanted to make um, it's definitely one of the best experiences that in my career and uh, there's something about Andrew he, he's really a pure director and meaning that you know he didn't come out of doing something else and you know he just sort of stepped he made his first movie and uh it, it, i think it was great uh i know that um and he you know i don't know where he learned how to kind of direct actors that that way some directors they spend a long time in theater or they even take acting classes or they or they're no good at working with actors um andrew's great at working with actors and he's also great visually and he's also you know amazing at, at sort of production design and at sound design and and he's a great writer he's sort of all of those all of those things that are required to be the person who is uh in charge and making a movie in that in that way you know he doesn't really make it by committee it's, it's a handmade film by mm-hmm. andrew dominic and uh and so it all it all feels of a, of a it's a whole piece and uh i wish he would make more movies I kind of wish the same thing about Kenny. I wish that he would make. I wish that our the film community would make it easier for guys like that to make more movies instead of saying we're not going to support him because his last movie made X number of dollars or mm-hmm. um, took so many years to be cut. You know, we should, those are the people who keep this industry interesting and alive, and um, we should help them uh, work more, even if it means just like being a little more uh, supportive financially. Totally. And that note about just the movie having kind of an identity before anyone can even see it, it's so true. I mean, it's like people can't just let the process work itself out. Like, movies aren't just, like, made to order. Like, sometimes it takes a while for the director to get there in the editing room or whatever they're trying to do. And the obsession with the process and both the media and just kind of fandom is... uh, it can be hurtful sometimes. Mm. Uh, I was kind of cheer- oh, there's also there's a line in that film that cracks me up to this day that you deliver. I just want to do an impression of you real fast. Okay, um, it's, right. it's right after Sam Shepard finishes chewing you out, and you go over to Brad, and you're like, "Me and your brother just had a real nice visit." <laughs> <laughs> it kills me every time. There's there's funny stuff like that in that movie. That's another reason I like it. It's kind of a complex movie in terms of tone sometimes. Uh-huh. Uh, and also, you know, I, I forgot that you were in Al Moreda's Hamlet. So did I. <laughs> um, it's like 16 years ago, though, the kind of modern take on Hamlet with Ethan Hawke in the role. And yeah. uh, I, I had forgotten all about that. It's a fascinating movie. Do you remember it now nope. that you've... <laughs> I think I was there for about 30 minutes. Yeah. I don't... I don't. That was like a movie made for nothing, probably shot in a few weeks. And, um, you know, I had... Uh, a few lines, and um, I thought, like, well, that was a weird experience. Yeah. Uh, I ran into Michael at the um, 
New York Film Festival after the screening of Manchester by the Sea, and oh. he was lovely. And I uh, I hadn't seen him in a decade. Uh, he's such an interesting guy and interesting filmmaker. I kind of loved that movie. It's such a product of its time, too. I think there's like a more Chiba song in it or something like that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the last question here. When you guys were young, when you were living up on that Hill, Hill Street house in Eagle Rock, <laughs> or, you know, was this what the dream looked like? Did, did it differ from the reality in any significant way for you? Like, when you were trying to break in, is this what you were hoping for? Um, you know, when I lived there, I, I after high school, I, me and my best friend drove out to L.A. and uh, never been out there. I didn't really know anyone who had any success. Uh, I didn't have an agent, didn't know how to find an agent, lived in Eagle Rock. I didn't even, I don't think I even went into Hollywood. I don't think I knew what Hollywood was. I thought I was in Hollywood. I was in Eagle Rock. <laughs> and uh, uh, I, I liked acting because I liked doing it in high school, you know, and, and what, uh, that is a pretty, um, far cry from what it really is to be like an um, actor who works in movies and TV. Uh, so when I was out here, I spent most of the year trying to find an agent and trying to find a job and I, uh, get auditions and I was working in some restaurant and, Really, I sort of lost interest over the course of the year because it wasn't a great experience. I didn't like the auditions I was getting or any of the things I was reading, and it wasn't like what I remembered of you know doing doing theater in uh, my high school, which sort of sounds so naive, but it was true. And and um, uh, I the dream that I had was based on that. It was that I I just liked sort of doing drama in a way that a kid does, and and. Um, but I, so no, it doesn't look. I didn't know what I was in for. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Uh, and I, I'm incredibly grateful for the career that I have now because I can't. I almost, I can't. I can't explain the good fortune. Um, like when I did Jesse James, I thought if I could just. I read the book and I thought I heard they were making it into a movie. And I thought if I could play this part, I'll never ask for anything else, you know. And then I did it, and I and then I went on to work with a handful of other people who. It was movies I'd admired and I really wanted to work with. And I, um, and each time I thought like, oh man, this has got to be the pinnacle of, of my career. This is, this is amazing. And then I go on and get to do something else. And I've stayed close to so many of them. And, um, I got to know Gus Van Sant and then he would invite me to go, you know, edit on one of his movies and just sort of sit around and learn, watch him, shadow him and Harris Savitas is shooting. And I get to be around all these people who are, just you know brilliant and i and um and th- for whatever reason they were in- included me and were nice to me and um so the dream in in some way uh is better than what i thought it you know the the the, the reality was better than is better than what i dreamt um in other ways it's uh a lot worse you know there are things i didn't know about i was i was going to have to do and um I didn't realize, like, I didn't never thought ahead. So, well, someday you're going to have kids. Now you're the only thing that you're able to do to earn a living is be an actor, and you're going to have to go away for four months and go do a movie, and it's going to be heartbreaking to be away from your family that long and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's all the kind of the challenges that come with it. Um, 
as with any job and just responsibility and getting older and stuff. Uh, so the the reality has been pretty different than than the dream. And um, do you, th- you think you're still chasing that feeling you had in high school? Well, I'm chasing the feeling that I've had. You know, some I I get in little little glimpses of teeny tiny little doses of on some of the movies that I've done too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish I could do more theater. Um, that's kind of the purest version of of what I, I like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't live in New York or London. I live in L.A. There's not that much of it. Also, I really love the people who are making movies. It's fun to be around them and everybody from like the directors to the when it's done talking about them you know with people who like to talk about them and and who are interested and talk about them in smart ways and ask smart questions not the other all that other noise that happens um Mm -hmm. i i love i also love making movies so i'm happy to do it um i i don't think okay this is definitely how i'm going to spend the rest of my life it might be uh doing something else either by choice or because you know I'll stop getting work um but I can foresee a time when I'm not being an actor and and that doesn't scare me too much um okay well that's good <laughs> not be scared uh in the meantime go see Manchester by the Sea Casey is phenomenal in it and congratulations in advance for your Oscar nomination not to, not to jinx it but I don't I think it's a safe bet it's it's an amazing performance so uh thanks again for being on the show man I really appreciate it my pleasure anytime thanks Steve Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe and check back next week. You've been listening to Playback at Variety. Variety.